You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Chuck Connor, Senior Vice President, Communication and Marketing for the American Red Cross, goes on the record online. If your employees, your people have concerns, you better make sure that the employees have the means to communicate those concerns in a way that their concerns are going to be looked at carefully and evaluated and acted upon. What we're finding right now, the difficulty, the latest difficulty we found in the last month is we've got volunteers who, who saw things that they thought were wrong, went to their supervisors, were not convinced that their supervisors were paying enough attention, and didn't realize that for the last three years we've had a toll-free hotline for volunteers or anybody to call if they thought there was wrongdoing or, you know, some monkey business going on. They didn't know that, and so they take their concerns to the media or to elected officials. And welcome to another edition of On the Record Online. If you're a regular listener of the show, welcome back. Uh, If this is your first time listening... We cover uh, the impact of new media communications on the worlds of marketing, public relations, and marketing communications. And we do that primarily through interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as from time to time, newsmakers, podcasters, bloggers, public relations professionals. And we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, founder and president of iPressroom Corporation, We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives. If you're streaming this podcast online and you'd like to subscribe to the show, you can do that at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. When you go to that page, you'll have the opportunity to click the iTunes badge, the Yahoo Podcast badge, the Odeo badge, the Podcast Alley badge, and actually subscribe to the show. It doesn't cost anything to subscribe. It's free. And what that means is that each time there's a new episode of the show, you'll receive it automatically. And now, with no more introduction, we are going to play for you the interview with Chuck Connor after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom. Always on, even when you're off. Chuck Connor, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. So now, you just mentioned to me that PR Week does a list of the uh, the most daunting PR jobs uh, in the nation, if not the world, and you were on that list. I think you were number four, you said? I yeah, I opened the PR Week. Just, I didn't know I was going to be in there in advance, and so it was like the book of lists. And there were, you know, five or six areas, and one of them was the top ten most daunting PR jobs. And kaboom, don't I see myself listed as number four, which was uh, nothing more than the truth, actually. And, and uh, I'm often asked who was number one. It was Scott McClellan at the White House. So I emailed that piece over to Scott McClellan at the White House that, hey, you know, in case you didn't know, you, you won the prize here. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the term, what is crisis communications? Well, crisis communications typically is how you uh, guide your organization through the inevitable difficult times 
that will affect an organization. And the bigger an organization are, the more certain it is you're going to face uh, some sort of crisis. Uh, it happens everywhere. Uh, I spent a whole career in the Navy. We faced uh, the tailhook scandal, which, which lasted, uh, the, the, it, it plus its aftermath really went on several years. So uh, it is, I think, the function of guiding your organization skillfully through uh, this crisis. Uh, it can be wrenching. Not all things are going to go perfectly. Uh, but it's important to, uh, uh, to assure the, your, your employees and your, your publics that you're going to fix whatever needs to be fixed. From a preparatory standpoint, what steps should organizations take to be ready for a crisis should they be involved in one? Well, that's a very good question. I, uh, I, I'm a big believer in crisis avoidance. Uh, this is why I've, I, on my first day on the job, I took my team together and I said that my own philosophy is half of good PR is being in position to stop stupid stuff from happening. That's why it's important your top communicator really needs to be at the table as policy is made so that you can say, oops, let's not do it this way, let's do it that way because oftentimes the critical thing that causes a crisis is a policy decision. Uh, rather than some misbehavior in the field, which will go on, the biggest crises are major decisions that, that, that the leadership would make. And I think that if you can be in position to stop something like that or shape it, that is a good way of stopping the crisis from happening. So I'm, I'm a big believer in avoiding a crisis if we can. And what are some of the actual tactical, tangible steps that a company might take to be ready in advance for a potential crisis? Well, my first advice to a practitioner is to be, be, be of a caliber that you will be invited to the table, that you are uh, known in the, in, the, in the head office so that you, your CEO doesn't make any decisions without putting his key team together uh, and uh, making sure that you're part of all that deliberative process. Now, for the what you're talking about, for the inevitable crisis that happens in an organization, it's very hard to predict what that crisis will be. Now, I was spent a lot of time in the Navy. You know what? We have plane crashes. We have ship collisions. We have standard things that go wrong, and you can have plans for that. Standard procedures. We we had them all the time. I mean, when we had a you know we lost a plane in the Mediterranean. I pulled out the plan. We did all the things we're supposed to do in an hour, and that's fine. I am a believer in Jim Lukashevsky's, who's the premier crisis guy, uh, that it's very hard to plan for every crisis. I think you need to keep your head on. I think you need to keep your uh, emotions under control. And I think you, and, and what I have noticed myself is this, when you are first in the first hours of a crisis and you have things in front of you that purport to be facts, I'm here to tell you the things you think are facts, half of them are wrong. There was a famous saying by Mr. Macy, I think, who said, half of my advertising budget is wasted. The problem is I don't know which half. That's true, I think, in the first hours and days of a crisis. When you, are, when you have things that are put before you, the leadership has things that are put before you that say, this is what happened. You know what? Half of that's wrong. So you've got to be very careful in uh, embracing these things that are facts and then telling them to newspaper reporters or media because oftentimes they're not true. So you've got to really be careful that you are really relating what you know to be true. Now, the exercise of corporate communications for you is pretty much straightforward because when there's a tsunami, you know if it's a crisis. When there's a hurricane and people are displaced and killed, you know if it's a crisis. But in the world of general business, how do you know when you have a crisis? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think that... Um, 
uh, it's oftentimes, oftentimes you learn about it when a reporter calls you. Oftentimes the reporter is telling you about what has just gone wrong in your own company. It could be a killing or a robbery, or it could be an employee who has uh, done something that, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, in, in in uniform on duty. So, <laughs> that, oftentimes you really hear about it from from the reporter, sadly, before you do from your own channels. Let's talk uh, for a minute about Katrina. Um, certainly, there was a lot of controversy surrounding FEMA's alleged late response to help the victims of the Katrina uh, hurricane. Did that um, impact the public's perception of the Red Cross's hurricane relief effort? That's an excellent question. I haven't asked that before. And the answer is maybe. Uh, FEMA was having its difficulties, and some of their difficulties spilled over into what we were trying to do. For example, in the National Response Plan, we, we have responsibility for mass care, which is you know feeding and sheltering, things like that. And under the plan, FEMA was supposed to provide us a lot of MREs. And they weren't forthcoming. What's an I, I, MRE? Sorry, forgive me. I thought that, that's in the lexicon. It's a meal ready to eat. It's a ready-made meal that basically the military uses. But we were getting. We were supposed to get a lot of MREs. Uh, we were supposed to have security for our shelters, and those things weren't forthcoming. Uh, and they were FEMA responsibilities, or they were FEMA responsibilities to help us execute our responsibilities. If I if I could make that more clear. So th- I think there was some overlap in it. I think most of the public's perception was the FEMA wasn't. Uh, everywhere it needed to be, but in in their defense, it's really they're really a small agency, uh, and I don't think I mean this took this Katrina matter plus the follow-on hurricanes took every resource the United States and the United States government could throw at the problem. It was far bigger than FEMA. It was far bigger than the Red Cross, uh, and it was almost too big for the whole Department of Defense. So. Uh, it was just a once-in-a-century, it was clearly the worst natural disaster that ever hit America, for sure. And so, you, you know, FEMA had some internal problems, for sure, but it really wasn't all their fault. And were you on the ground there at the site? I was in Washington, but made several trips to the site. I was in Houston for a bit, went to Baton Rouge, and uh, made, but my, my deputy, uh, Darren Irby, uh, who actually was there hours after Katrina hit the Gulf Coast and had to drive 150 miles. I'll never forget that call. He drove 150 miles till he found a working telephone to say that he had been in disasters for 25 years and had never seen anything like this. It was total devastation, total flooding, total destruction. Not one brick was standing on another, and it was as if a nuclear bomb had gone off. So that's when we first, and I made sure that when I got that call, we had that phone connection, I made sure that our leadership heard that right from the scene because it really was nothing like we'd ever heard before. When you were first notified that all this was going on, how did you feel? Well, I got worried when I saw Katrina offshore and heading to New Orleans because that was our biggest fear was that the levees would break in New Orleans. Uh, And that was actually a fairly widely predicted event that sooner or later such a thing would happen. Uh, so I was worried about the other damage that a, a major Category 5 hurricane would cause, and even if it didn't hit New Orleans. And then I was also worried about the, the flooding. And it took overnight. I, we, we, I remember we came in the work the next day, and, and we, we, heard, we thought that the levees had held, but it turns out they hadn't held. And so what most people don't understand is that was two disasters. That was the hurricane-related damage 
all over the Gulf Coast. And then the second disaster, which in com- combination with the first made it a huge catastrophe, was the flooding and the forced evacuation of this entire city. So it really was two huge disasters that happened at the same time. And what exactly is your role in communicating on behalf of the Red Cross? Well, our first job is to tell the people who have been injured or who are victims how they can get Red Cross help. That's our first function. We call that our public affairs function. And we have communicators out there, and their job is to cleverly and imaginatively use what media exists, because oftentimes the power is out. They might have to do flyers. They have to improvise to let people know how they can get Red Cross aid. Uh, Our other parallel responsibility is to work with the news media who are on scene to let them know what Red Cross assistance is coming when, what it will be, and uh, more often than not, uh, what our financial needs are going to be in the way of the donated dollar, which is also very important, since the Red Cross basically gets no government money as a, as a, as a rule. Seeing as how digital technology has now made it so easy for people to exchange information, and we've seen photos come out of the prison in Iraq, and a lot of times people on the exterior communicating with the center rather than the traditional model of the center informing the edges. Um, given that, uh, I guess, the Internet has pretty much opened the communication lines to the public, how do you control the message when you're faced with a crisis? Well, the Internet actually works in our favor because we were getting 100,000 hits a day on redcross.org, and normally that would be 40 or 50 we were getting a huge number growing. Most, a great deal of our donations came through the web. So we take the web and the internet very seriously and uh, use it uh, a, a great deal uh, on our behalf. I will say I think it's going to loom. We're going to we're going to we're going to put more importance to it in my view because it is a channel that we can use to let the public know what the Red Cross message is directly, unadulterated by reporters or, you know, other kinds of gatekeepers. So we are going to be looking to emphasize the means by which we can ensure that the American public and victims and everybody interested in a catastrophe really understands what we're doing, the difficulties we're facing, uh, the obstacles we're facing, and uh, and uh, how long it will take us to get into County A or County B. We're going to do we're going to do a much more effective job of that, and, you, and the internet's going to be a big piece of it. And so, your department specifically will have ownership over the website. Oh, we do already. And so uh, if, if I would encourage your listeners to look at it. Uh, it's www.redcross.org, and we always keep it very much up to date, and it tells it has a lot of very interesting stories in it. It's a good way. And, and it was most valuable to us, I must say, when the victims of New Orleans were spread all over the country, and they were evacuated in the middle of the night. They, didn't, they got on planes. They didn't know where we were going. We wanted to make sure that right on the, the head of our website was – uh, the means by which a victim could code in the zip code he was in and know where the closest Red Cross chapter to him was so that they, get a, that they could get aid. We put that priority ahead of fundraising, ahead of other information, and that was the key piece of what we were doing on our website. Final question. Um, given the allegations currently being made by uh, Attorney Jerome Nickerson, what um, words of, of advice can you give to other corporate communicators 
that may be counseling executive managers who are being asked questions that they can't answer for a variety of reasons. What are the alternatives to no comment? I think the biggest lesson the Red Cross is going to learn is this. If your employees, your people have concerns, you better make sure that the employees have the means to communicate those concerns in a way that their concerns are going to be looked at carefully and evaluated and acted upon. What we're finding right now, the difficulty, the latest difficulty we found in the last month is we've got volunteers who, who saw things that they thought were wrong, went to their supervisors, were not convinced that their supervisors were paying enough attention, and didn't realize that for the last three years we've had a toll-free hotline for volunteers or anybody to call if they thought there was wrongdoing or you know some monkey business going on. They didn't know that. And so they take their concerns to the media or to elected officials. That was the big thing we, we, we uh, need to improve on, and we intend to improve on that. Internal communication. For sure. To make sure, to, A, to have that infrastructure so your organization knows, that, so that the top of the organization knows what concerned people at the bottom want to bring to the attention of the top. Make sure you have a structure like that, and make sure that your people know about that. And so every volunteer going down to the, 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 the next bunch of hurricanes we have is going to have in their wallet the phone number for what we call our concern connection. Get on the phone. We want to know about it. So I said it was the last question. I'm going to add one more. If you're ambushed by a reporter who, you know, tries to, I don't know, set you up, and we don't have the ability to call you into the room and prep with you before we're facing the media, what words of wisdom do you have for, for, the, for the ambushed executive? Show concern about the problem and only speak to the facts and express the determination to put right whatever needs to be put right in the organization. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.